Sometimes in life, you have to get in conflict with someone. This dreaded reality is not a wish, it's not a desire, it's not a prayer request. But getting in conflict with other people is a common sense perspective that comes with living in a sin-cursed world. It is impossible to have two humans living close to each other for an extended period and not have relational conflict. Sin is not that accommodating. Sin does not accommodate our desires for peace, our desires for or hope for a path of least resistance. And though you may always strive for that path of least resistance, and though you have these wonderful desires for peace, when you interrelate with another human being, we're all imperfect, and so conflict is inevitable. Welcome to the podcast. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to your weekly dose of Your Daily Drive. I share my articles, a new article, with you once a week. Typically, it drops on a Wednesday, and you can read the entire article and listen to the podcast. And as always, with all of our articles, there are a lot of embedded links in them. And so please, for you disciple makers, you can use our articles as long-term homework assignments for those people within your sphere of care. Of course, anyone else can use them as well. You can use them personally and just work through them. Make this your homework assignment, or maybe it would be an excellent family project or a marriage project. We're talking about conflict here. And so if you want to read this article, the title of it is, There Are Times When You Have to Get Into Conflict. And again, it's not a wish. It's not a desire. It's not a prayer request. It's just a common sense perspective that comes with living in a sin-cursed world. Sigh. Sad. I dislike it as much as you do. But I want to talk about this reality because it is just that, a reality. And in the world in which we are living, it, it, maybe it's even intensified because conflict is all over the place. And so therefore, understanding our role in conflict is essential. As always, if you want to talk to me about uh, any of these, anything, uh, for that matter, anything pertaining to life and godliness, we have a team of people, including myself, that hang out on our community forums. We do not do community on on social media platforms, and I think most of you, I think you understand why. I have been saying this for years, that if you're building a ministry, if you're building a business for that matter, depending on what the business is, there are some businesses that uh, can fly under the radar of those who censor such things. But if you're building a ministry, a Christocentric ministry, then you're probably going to find yourself in a situation where you, where, where you will be censored and maybe even deplatformed. And so I just make my strongest appeals to you not to build community on social media platforms. It is a different day. It is a new kind of world. And so we want to be strategic and proactive. As a matter of fact, someone, a note was sent to me asking about my comments on this new world in which we are living and how we should think about it and strategize and, and re-index uh, because the world that we're living in today is not the world that uh, we lived in 30 years ago for me, 50 years ago, 60 years ago. It is a different America. And as I thought about that note that was passed to me, I, I thought maybe I should do a podcast, a Life Over Coffee podcast about it. 
And I'm thinking about it. If I do, it will be the next episode. The episode will be episode 290. And so you can look for episode 290. I'm I'm 90% sure I'm going to do that podcast because there's a lot of people who are hurting now. I have had multiple conversations with people who are struggling personally or people who are trying to help those who are struggling uh, with what is going on in America now. And I'm with you. I'm not detached from this as though a person who is unaffected. I'm affected too. And so as all of my articles, all all the podcasts, everything that I put out on our website, they are, as I've said many times, my personal devotions. This is how I think about life. And we started sharing these things uh, 12 years ago, and it has turned into a ministry such as it is today. And so I am not writing. I don't produce any content as though I am detached from it. Even this article that I'm about to share with you on conflict, I have been in conflict and I will be in conflict if I if I live another day or two uh, because it's inevitable and so I'm thinking about doing a podcast on on this how we need to just a few thoughts uh, that I trust will be beneficial on how to think about this new world in which we are living and so you can check for episode 290 when it drops I'm pretty sure I'm going to do that one of the the tension that I have right now is that we we're going to be leaving within a few hours to go to Florida not to move, though it sounds delightful, but we're doing a conference. I'm doing a conference with Daniel Berger in Sarasota, Florida, Florida at Calvary Chapel Church. And so it will be Thursday night. That will be January the 14th, uh, 2021, and Friday night, and then half day on Saturday. And so if you're in the Sarasota area, then please look up Calvary Chapel Church and get yourself over there. I would love to meet you. That would be fantastic when we go out and do conferences. We do get to meet uh, our supporters and, and folks who use our content, benefit from it. And I would love to meet you. And so let me know and uh, we can chat a bit, and that would be fantastic. But you can also go to the conference, and so just look up Calvary Chapel in Sarasota, Florida, and you can get the information that you need to register and all of that kind of stuff. By the way, uh, for those of you who uh, want to do a a conference, I I need for you to ask. Um, I am itching. We just had another one canceled, and uh, that's going to be in March of 2021 in Georgia, which is fine. I totally understand. I have no, no bad feelings about that at all. I mean, there are no bad thoughts. Uh, whatsoever. It's just a reality. We had a bunch of them canceled last year, and so I'm itching uh, to do a conference. And and maybe we'll just have to do all of them in Florida. And so if you want to do a conference, pick a spot in Florida and let's get together and do a conference. Or uh, if you can, wherever you're living, just uh, contact us and let us know because uh, I do want to get back out there on the trail. And uh, it's only did, I don't know, three or four last year. I don't remember, but uh, but we had a bunch canceled, and, and well, you know how it is, and so uh, it would be great. It would be great. Contact us and let us know because I want to I get on the trail and start doing these, whether it's marriage conferences or counseling conferences, topical conferences for your local church, for a counseling organization, etc. let me know. All right, let me get into this podcast, the article. Please read it as you have time. There are times when you have to get into conflict. There's the title. Sin is divisive and will do all it can to bring relational confusion and frustration between two people. This thought 
should not be discouraging for the gospel-minded person. Now, it should be discouraging in a limited way because sin has that effect on us, and it just says that we are normal. But when I say it should not be, this thought should not be discouraging, I'm talking about in a debilitating way where it just keeps us down longer than it should because the gospel-minded person, we are not people who are without hope. We live in the transformational reality and expectation of the gospel. The divisiveness of sin does not have the ultimate power over us. We are more than conquerors because of Christ's work on our behalf. So when conflict happens, you have choices because you have hope. And there are two primary ways to avoid tension with another person. You can choose to live superficially with them, and I suppose most of us have done that. And by the way, you may have no choice but to live superficially with them, because if they do not want to reconcile, it takes two to reconcile, and if they do not want to reconcile the conflict, then you have to live superficially with them. But before... You want to make sure that you've done all that you could do to choose uh, to reconcile those disagreements. And so the two ways to avoid tension is you can choose to live superficially with them or you can choose not to reconcile after disagreements happen. And so you can just say, I'm going to live a superficial relationship with you. And then you can say, well, you know, I I could probably work to reconcile this, but I choose not to reconcile this disagreement. Either course of action is not tenable for a Christian. We are not allowed to live superficial lives with others or allowed to ignore gospel reconciling opportunities. God calls us to pursue each other in gospel transformation for the glory of God and personal and communal benefit. To not be active in stirring others up in love and good deeds is a betrayal of the gospel call on our lives. And if you're in a situation where either you or the other person is unwilling to do their part in reconciling where there is something that is really broken in one or both lives. Imagine being part of a group of friends that does not seek to pursue each other, to motivate each other toward change. Superficial friend groups are a mockery of the gospel. And this applies also to small groups. If you have a small group, which are popular in in some local churches, if you have a small group and, and it's a superficial friend group, it is a mockery of the gospel. It's like going to the hospital while refusing to access the hospital's resources, means of grace that could radically change your life and the lives of those within your friend group. One of our Adamic tendencies is to avoid the obvious flaws we see in each other. I'm not talking about uncharitable judging here. I'm just talking about what we obviously see, whether it's in our lives or the lives of those within our sphere. Now, perhaps you have done this. I have. I mean, you're in a situation and you perceive sanctification weirdness. I'm talking about relational awkwardness. And one of your friends, 
At that moment, you have to make a choice. Well, I began to pray about a strategy to pursue this person for their good and God's glory, or will I ignore the big, fat elephant that just went prancing across the room? One of your temptations will be, as mine is, to avoid the big, fat elephant in the room because you know the possibility of a relational tussle happening if you pursue the person to help them. A dispute will happen because two things are working against you. You will seek your friend imperfectly, and your friend will receive your care imperfectly. Therefore, you have to decide. Do you want to love this person even though there will probably be a season of relational dysfunction? Or do you want to ignore the God opportunity in front of you? Every one of us, I'm pretty sure, we've been there. We have seen something in someone's life. We're not judging them uncharitably. It is a sanctification weirdness, a a glitch in their walk with the Lord. And we have to make that decision because we know that if we go to them, the possibility and there's a, there's a high probability and with many of us that we're not going to receive that, that care. We're not going to receive it the way that we should with humility. And, and, and there's a real tension here because some, some people, first of all, our care that we provide to them, as I said, we're going to provide it imperfectly. And, and some people, what they will do is they will focus on the imperfections within our care, the imperfection of our confrontation with them, and be so focused on that that they don't see the opportunity that is presented to them to change. Now, I'm not condoning imperfect soul care. I am just merely, again, stating the obvious that I cannot provide care perfectly, and neither can you. But within that imperfect care, we want to be humble enough to see an opportunity for growth. Maybe you can come back later and talk to the individual about their imperfect confrontation. The Christian who wants to live for God's glory will have to will not have the heart to walk away from this opportunity which his commander-in-chief has placed in front of him. If you see this sanctification weirdness in somebody's life, you can't walk away from the opportunity. Now, maybe you'll not engage at this moment, but you have to prayerfully think about what your role is. I'm not saying that you have to engage every person who's acting odd. Every person has a sanctification glitch. But if you want to live for God's glory, you'll not have the heart to walk away, even if it just means for this moment in time that you want to pray for this person and and pray to position yourself in front of this person, maybe at a later date so that you can care for them. It would be like being on a battlefield and ignoring the general's command to engage the enemy, by the way. When I say enemy here, the enemy that I'm talking about is not your friend. The enemy that I'm talking about here is the spiritual warfare that you're engaged on behalf of your friend. And so when you're on the battlefield of relationship opportunities, you don't ignore the general's command to engage the enemy. The enemy is a roaring lion who is 
has captured or is trying to capture your friend, and you must engage the enemy. We, we are living on a battlefield, and the enemy is among, amongst us. He is alive and well. He is in our hearts. And until our great commander comes to take us home, the battle will never slacken. We cannot avoid the obvious things in our lives and in our relationships. If we do ignore our relational tensions, it is not loving, but self-centered laziness born out of our desire for personal comfort or reputation. And what I mean by reputation is some people will be so concerned about what other people think about them that they will not confront that person because they don't want that person to reject them, to, to unfriend them, to not love them. And if personal comfort, I don't want to get into the messiness of this, or reputation, I care about what they think about me, if that is self-centered laziness. I do understand the tension. I can't slack away from God's call on my life to press into my sanctification while seeking to help others in theirs. And I trust that is a mantra of yours, too. Say it out loud. I can't slack away from God's call on my life to press into my sanctification, which would address my desires for personal comfort and reputation, while seeking to help others in theirs, things that I am charitably assessing about them, and I need to love them enough. I need to love God enough to where I'm speaking into their lives. This kind of gospel-motivated attitude, it means relational conflict will come into my life. This mindset is how Jesus lived, by the way. Think about it this way. Jesus went from one relational conflict to another. I am currently reading through the Gospels because, well, this is the first of the year, and I've chose to read the Gospels first. Uh, our church is going through the Gospel of Mark, and so I want to get uh, four different vignettes of the Gospels as I read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John during, during January. And as I read through the Gospels, I'm in, uh, I'm in Luke, 20, Luke 20 right now. And as you read through the Gospels, it is... It's amazing. Every turn of the page, Jesus is in relational conflict. Because everywhere he went, every encounter had the potential of breaking out into a fight. And you can see this perspective with his encounters with the Pharisees. It was also evident among his close friends. At the end of his life, the disciples' frustration level was so high that they denied being his friend. Christ was a Johnny One Note kind of guy, and he did not hide how he thought about living for God. He was not mean-spirited. He was not unkind in his attitudes. Though he was loving, he was also clear. If you're coming or if you're going to follow me, you must prepare to die. This kind of relationship building that's going to create conflict, it will be definitely a death to self. We live in a sinful world, and we are imperfect people. To expect relationships to go smoothly is to live in an illusion. It's like a man wearing a white suit in the desert expecting never to get dirty, a naive notion. I don't have a fight wish, but I know we can't go on for any length of time as friends and not have relational conflict. 
If you're married, think about how impossible it is to live with another human and not sin against them or them not sinning against you. Which brings me to my second point. My first point is you can choose to live superficially with your friends. Point number two, you can choose not to reconcile after disagreements happen. My first point was about whether you're going to choose superficial friends or biblical friends. And by the way, on that point, you will find that with your friends, they will live in concentric circles. You will have your Matthew, uh, I mean your Peter, James, and John as your innermost friends, and then you'll have nine others on the next level, and then you'll have Mary, Martha, Nicodemus, etc. on the next level, and the next tier would be the multitudes, and the next tier would be the Pharisees. Everybody is not going to live like this. But you'll have to choose superficial friends or biblical friends. And if you select biblical friends, then batten down the hatches. You're going to get up into each other's business. And you're going to get your feelings hurt. You will sin against your friends while you try to go deeper into the relationship. And they will sin against you. It is unavoidable. My second point is whether you will choose to reconcile after A break happens in the relationship. Listen to how Paul talked about that in Romans 12. You know this passage very well. It's verses 16 through 21. He said this, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible... This is a big one. I want to talk about this because some of you are already thinking about this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, quote, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, Quote, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So says Paul, Romans 12, 16 through 21. This Romans passage gives us a clear and distinct advantage over our friends who reject Christ. We can do what they can't. We can reconcile. When I'm talking about our friends who reject Christ, I'm talking about the culture. The culture can't do what we can do. We can reconcile. The issue is not and should never be, will we get into an argument, because that's unavoidable. It should always be, will we reconcile after we get into a scuffle? Now, I realize, as Paul implied, there is a conditionality to reconciliation. You heard it. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And so I I don't want to leave this part out because, again, some of you have already thought about it. Well, Rick, all this is great. I want to stir up my friends to to love and and good works, and I I don't want to live superficially, and and I I don't want to be that person that doesn't reconcile. But don't you understand it takes two And that's why there's a conditionality to what Paul was saying in Romans 12. Sadly, some people will not want to reconcile. What the other person did 
should not be your first point of focus. And so let's start there. You never want to start with what they did or what they are currently doing. I hear this when I talk to people about broken relationships. Inevitably, a person will begin talking about what the other party did and how they hurt them. Think about that. I mean, there is a place for that conversation, but that text that I just read in Romans 12, the bulk of Paul's words are for you, not the other person. You can go back and read that text again if you wish, and and you read it from that perspective. It's what we should be doing primarily There's a place, there's a time for the conversation about what the other person is doing, but first we have some questions. Here's one. How are you overcoming evil with good, as Paul said? Number two, do you have a desire to reconcile? Do you have that desire to reconcile with with the other person? Number three, what is your plan? What is your strategy for reconciliation? Number four, what is the content of your prayers regarding your heart? And the other person. Our words flow from our hearts. We want our hearts shaped by God-centered thinking, a God-centered attitude. And therefore, what is the content of our prayers about ourselves and about the other person pertaining to this conflict that we have, this disagreement? Finally, number five, how are you asking the Father to bring about reconciliation? Recently, someone said, she does not like me anymore. I won't have anything to do with me. The lady who said this is a believer, and she was talking about another believer. And my soul was sad. How can it be? How can a Christian carry a grudge or lousy attitude toward another Christian for an indefinite period and not seek to repair the relationship? This posture is gospel insanity. How can a Christian say to another Christian, I don't like you anymore? I mean, really, is this possible? What is going on in our hearts when we hold our hurts while not living in the immeasurable grace the Father provides? I know altercations happen, but where I struggle is when there is no plan for reconciliation. And sometimes I realize it does take time. You can't reconcile in a moment. It takes time. One of the most defaming things a Christian can do to his Savior is to allow conflict to continue between two people. Now, I realize that as much as it depends on you, I recognize that as I say this. But it's a, and, and so if, you are, if you're doing all that you can do, then, well, then the weight of reconciliation or the lack of reconciliation is on the other person. But it's a clear sign of gospel dysfunction of the heart, either from one or both people in the skirmish. We have the power of God resident within us, but yet... We will allow ourselves to succumb to the power of evil to the point where the evil so overcomes us, we will permanently diss each other because the power of evil has that kind of strength. You may never reconcile with a person, but you can do as much as depends on you, and you do not have to carry the hurt in your heart to where you become a captured victim. Your best friends will be those that were previously separated from you by sin. There was sin on both parts. You sin, they sin against you. The mature Christian does not care who fired the first shot. You really don't care. Who cares who did what and who fired it? You were not looking for a fight, but there it was. Boom, you're in a conflict with someone. And though the disruption of the relationship does matter, what happened does matter, but the bigger deal is the gospel. 
will two people activate the power of the gospel in their lives? Perhaps only one will. Sigh. But it must be you. If both do, you will reconcile. And more than likely, you'll become friends for life. Once you go to the mat with someone and get back up as friends, nothing. There is nothing left to hide. There's nothing left to defend. You have seen the worst in each other. But you decided the gospel has more power than your disagreement, which also describes marriage, by the way. The, The gospel can do this for friendships. It can take the inevitable fight and transform the combatants into the best friends. The people who have my back, Rick's back, are those that I have sinned against and those who have forgiven me. They are the people I want to have my back because I know that they their love for me is genuine. Perhaps there are folks in your life who refuse to reconcile with you. If that's the case, I'm sad. But let me give you two parting pieces of advice. One is from Paul and the other is from a friend who helped me many years ago. If you're in that situation where the person refuses to reconcile, here is your mindset. Quote, this is what my friend told me. You say to them, or you say to them in your heart, I can't make you love me, but you can't stop me from loving you. Now, maybe that just means they can't stop you from loving them in your heart and in your prayers because they won't have anything to do with you. But I can't make you love me, but you can't stop me from loving you. That should be your mindset toward those people that you can't reconcile with. And here's Paul's mindset. Do not. Be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The title of this podcast is, There are times when you have to get into a conflict, but we are not people without hope. The gospel can transform either our life and attitude, and maybe it can transform both. If you'd like to talk about this or something else, please jump on our forums. They're free to you. Our team would love to chat. Thank you so much for listening.